0: Good morning. It's great to be back at Paragon. I think I was here, I think in December, and share with you a message of, about Christmas and who is uh, who is Jesus, what child is this, and uh, this morning what I want to do is, is kind of shift gears a little bit and tell you more about my own personal story. I'm president of Watchman Fellowship. It's a Christian ministry, uh, missionary ministry reaching out to people of other religions, other faiths, and and my involvement with this goes back to my own background, because I myself was born and raised a Mormon fourth generation. And what I want to do this morning, if I can, is kind to of take you on a journey from Mormonism to Christianity. Let me just get a feel. How many of you know a Latter-day Saint? You know a Mormon. You could tell me, that. oh, that's everybody just about. And then, uh, also, I asked this question during the Bible study, or how many of, of you have had that knock on the door, and it was the two Mormon missionaries at the door, and that's just about everybody as well. If you haven't had that knock and would like one, see me, I'll get your name and address, make sure they come see you too. But uh, we've all had Latter-day Saint friends, am I right? They're some of the nicest people you will ever know. Uh, but the problem is, the issue becomes, of: is it the same gospel? When I was a Latter-day Saint, I was born and raised Mormon, fourth generation, I received the... Uh, I was baptized when I was eight years old and received the laying on of hands for what they call the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then I later received the Mormon Aaronic Priesthood and served in the offices of deacon, teacher, and priest. I also did baptism work for the dead in the Salt Lake City Temple uh, in Utah. I'll explain that to you here just a little bit what that's all about, baptism for the dead. But up front, I want you to know that my whole experience as a Latter-day Saint, believing the Book of Mormon believing in the prophet Joseph Smith, Uh, I was unusual in the sense that I was fortunate to have some Christian friends who loved me, were concerned about me, and took the time and effort to build a bridge of relationship with me and ask me questions from the Bible and even from some of my own Mormon scriptures and share the gospel of grace with me. And God God used those Christians in my life over a period of many years to help me on my journey from Mormonism to Christianity. I want to encourage you to be that kind of friend, too. If you have a Latter-day Saint neighbor, or in my case, family, can we be the kind of Christian friend that can build that bridge of love and respect, but share that gospel of grace? And I want to tell you what my experience was like and what it was like to be a Mormon, what I believed as a Latter-day Saint, as a Mormon, what I believed to be true, and to help me out with this, I have a chart for you, a, a map. If you look inside your program or your bulletin, there's a, a map or a chart, and it's kind of a fill-in-the-blank. You, you have that you know what I'm talking about here? Uh, it's fill-in-the-blank chart. Now, I want you to fill-in-the-blank. Did they tell you there's going to be a test? There will be a test. So fill-in-the-blanks, and that's going to help you pass your test. Also, inside the chart... We've got some great resources on the subject of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism and other religions, and we have a profile notebook, and we have a pre- free profile subscription from our ministry. And I won't read this to you. You can read this, and I want to encourage you to take advantage of that or go by the resource table, take a look. The uh, profile subscription's free. You can do that as well. But I want to focus on, on my story and share with you what I was taught as a Latter-day Saint, what I believe to be the gospel, but before I share with you anything from the Book of Mormon or the Prophet Joseph Smith, I, if I could, I'd like to start with the Bible always. And so, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Galatians chapter 1. The Scripture warns about other Gospels. The, all Gospels are not created equally. There, are, there is a one true Gospel, but every other Gospel is not really a Gospel at all. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, the po- Apostle Paul writes to the Christians living in the city of Corinth, and he says to them, or in, in Gal- the area of Galatia, rather, and says to them, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now I just want you to notice in, in verse 6 that initially they were following after what Paul calls the grace gospel. Grace means unmerited kindness. It's a gift. The, the gospel he's talking about is that although we are all sinners, all of us, you and me, we've all broken God's law. The truth of the matter is, heaven's perfect and you're not. And neither am I. And that's why we don't qualify. And, and so the good news, though, is the, the gospel is that even though we don't qualify, God still loves us. And he made a way where we could have our sins forgiven. And it's not about how much money you give or how many good deeds you do, it's called grace. It means it's a gift that God does. It's in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus dies on the cross, he pays the penalty, and he offers his eternal life as a gift. That's called grace. Now, here's the problem. While that's the true gospel, there were some false teachers there in the area of Galatia who were saying, well, we believe the gospel, but not the grace gospel. There's a price to be paid by you. And Paul's warning them about that. And he says, called you, you've been called to the grace gospel, but you're turning to a different gospel, verse 7, not that there is another one. Now, wait a minute. Are they going after a different gospel or is there not a different gospel? Well, the key is that the word gospel means good news. Every time we see the word gospel, literally, that means good news. And what he's saying is this. If you're going after a gospel that's not the grace gospel, that's not really good news at all. It's really bad news. And he explains, but there are some, verse 7, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then verse 8, I think, is the key. But even if we or an angel from heaven, could you imagine that? What if the apostle Paul was to come, or the other apostles? Or he says, even if an angel, let's say, was to come down into the room uh, this morning, and that angel was to present to us a gospel that's not the grace gospel. What, what does it say? Keep reading. Uh, she preach to you a gospel contrary to the, to the one we preached. Let him be accursed. So here's what the scriptures, in, how in the scriptures inform us this morning. There's only one true good news gospel. And that's that free gift of grace where Jesus pays it all. Any other good news gospel is really bad news. Because it's not leading you after salvation, it's leading you after destruction. So what I want to do this morning, I want to talk about the Mormon gospel a little bit. What I was taught as a Latter-day Saint, what I believed as a Mormon. And I want to contrast this with the gospel of the Bible, what the Bible calls the grace gospel. Now, the Mormon gospel, if you look on your chart at the top, we would call it as Mormons the law of eternal progression that's kind of the name of the mormon gospel or the other thing we would call it more often we would call it the restored gospel now that's very important the reason mormons call their gospel the restored gospel they believe that joseph smith the mormon founder restored the gospel in the year 1830 here's how the story goes joseph smith claimed that back when he was only 14 years old now he he tells this story as an adult, but he says, you know, back when I was only 14 years old, let me tell you what happened. I didn't know which kind of church I should join. In the Mormon scriptures, he says he didn't know if he should be a Presbyterian, a Methodist, or a Baptist, or maybe one of the other churches. So he goes out into an area of woods, a, what they call the sacred grove. And Joseph Smith knelt down in that sacred grove, 14 years old, and he prayed and asked God, should I? What denomination? What church should I join? Much to his surprise, Joseph Smith claimed a bright light appeared and two beings appeared in that light. Heavenly Father, God the Eternal Father, and His Son Jesus Christ appeared to Joseph Smith in the woods, and Jesus tells Joseph Smith not to join any of the churches because all the churches are false. Now, what Joseph Smith is told is that there has been a total apostasy. And that shortly after the death of the original apostles, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, back in the first century, when they died, there was no true Christianity afterwards. Total apostasy. The Christian churches you see are all false churches. Their gospels are wrong. They preach for the commandments of God, the doctrine of men. So Joseph Smith was tasked to restore the gospel that had not existed for some 1400 years now that's why we would call it you understand now we would say ours is the restored gospel now when you restore some anything when you restore something it's supposed to be like the original that's what restoration means right what is restoration you make it like the original for example i love classic cars now this morning i will not show you any pictures of my grandchildren But i got to show you this 1957 Chevy. Guys, am I right? There's nothing like a 1957 Chevy. Agree or be condemned? Now, which is it going to be? Nothing like a 57 Chevy. So let's say, as an act of love, I want to take this beat-up 1957 Chevy. I want to completely restore it. So I am going to spare no expense. I'm going to take a small fortune in a three-year project, and I want to meticulously, everything, the upholstery, the headliner, blueprint, the engine, every lug nut. I wanted it to be primo factory like it rolled off the showroom floor. So finally, three years and a mountain of money later, I'm finished. So I throw a big party at my house. I invite you over and show, take you into my backyard and show you my completely restored 1957 Chevy. And you say, James, can, we, we're going to have to talk. That's not a 57 Chevy. That's what we call a Winnebago. That's what they call the motor home. That's not a restored 57 Chevy. Now, you might have hurt my feelings because I spent a lot of time and money on this project. But see, when you call it a restoration, the question is not did you, how much money did you spend or how sincere you are. The question is, does it match? Now, that's what Galatians chapter 1 saying. If somebody, even an angel, brings you a gospel that doesn't match, it's not a restoration. You've got... Now, you've got a Winnebago. You've got something different. You've got a different vehicle. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you on that journey. This is what I was taught as a Latter-day Saint. At every point, here's what your job is. You say, now, is this the same grace gospel found in the New Testament, or do we have a different kind of vehicle? So let me take you on that journey. If you look at your chart, you'll see that question number one, uh, there's actually three questions in the chart, uh, that's going to be our outline question number one at the top of the page in the arrow is the question where did we come from now this question deals with origin and here's what I, I need you to help me out here i need you to think out outside the box a little bit well way outside the box really i need you to suspend your disbelief for just a moment because i'm going to address this question could you have actually lived somewhere else, not on earth, before you were born on earth? now hold that thought just just bear with me because that 's going to be question one: Where do we come from? Question two in the white box right underneath that is the question: Why are we here? In other words, what is the purpose of life? You may have asked yourself that this morning what 's what are we here for what 's the purpose of life or what does God require of us? Or you can ask the question the same way the Bible does. What must I do to be saved? That's question two. Question three at the bottom of the page in the yellow box. Where are we going? What's going to happen to us after we leave this life? Now, here's our outline. I want to give you the Mormon answer to the three questions. This is what I was taught. This is our gospel when I was a Latter-day Saint. What's question one? Where did we come from? Now, if you look at your chart, you'll see question one is in an arrow. Now, that's a big hint. I'm trying to help you everywhere I can here. It's pointing to the answer. It, the arrow's pointing to the answer to the question. The Mormons say that far away in a distant part of the universe, there's a giant star. And the name of that star is called Kolob. Now, if you're filling in the blanks, that's the first question. The star is called Kolob. I was told that it's a thousand times larger than our sun. This is talked about in the Mormon scriptures. The Mormons have four scriptures. The Bible, they use the King James Bible. The Book of Mormon, I talked about that in the first hour. That's recorded if some of you want to hear about that. Another scripture called the Doctrine and Covenants. But the fourth scripture is called the Pearl of Great Price. And in that scripture, there's a book called the Book of Abraham. It talks about the star Kolob. Very important star because that star is nearest where our Heavenly Father lives. God lives near the star Kolob, and that star is a thousand times larger than our sun. And God's name, I was told, is Elohim. Elohim is the name of our Heavenly Father. God, our Heavenly Father, lives near the star Kolob. His name is Elohim. Now we have it pictured here for you as living on a planet near the Star Kolob in a place they may call the first estate, or the other name for it is the pre-existence, the pre-existence. God lives the pre-existence near the Star Kolob, Elohim, our Heavenly Father, and God lives there along with Heavenly Mother. Now, I was taught as a Mormon that God is actually married. So in Mormonism, you have Heavenly Father, but you also have His wife, Heavenly Mother, now some of you are looking at me with. Wish, I wish you could stand up here and look at your. I know you're thinking. You're thinking. Now wait a minute, James. Where does this come from? Because in the Bible, God is not married. Well, technically, in the Bible, God doesn't even have a girlfriend. So where, where in the world is this coming from? Again, one of the one of the problems I think when it comes to Mormonism, I was taught as a Mormon that the Bible, while it is one of the four scriptures, the Bible I was told has not been translated correctly. Therefore, I was to put my faith in the other scriptures and in living apostles and prophets. They have living apostles and prophets on the earth right now who can give all kinds of important information that's not in the Bible. So put yourself in my shoes. I'm thinking this is a great advantage. Now, you've got a Bible. That's good. But that's so limited. We have living apostles in Salt Lake City who can pick up the phone and tell you God's word for today, prophets of God living in Utah that can tell us what we need to know. Now, here's the danger. Once you begin to challenge or question or doubt the word of God, the Bible, you believe it's not right, it's got errors in it, and you start looking to other scriptures or latter-day revelations or prophets, or let me tell you, you are very vulnerable at that point. It's easy to believe anything once you doubt the Bible and look to other authoritative sources for "Thus saith the Lord." So I naturally believed what my prophets told me. I believed that God was married. We have him in the hymn book at the Mormon Church. We have songs about our Heavenly Mother, and God and His wife. I was told have babies, spirit children. That's the next in your outline. Just like human parents have, you know, they procreate and have children. Heavenly Father and his wife have children, spirit children. These are literal offspring, these eternal parents. Um, and God has a lot of children. You know, he doesn't have millions. He actually has billions. Now, we're kind of right now hitting at the very heart, striking at the very heart of question number one, which is what was question one? Where did we come from? I was taught as a Mormon that everybody at church today, everybody who's alive on the earth today, or whoever was born in the past, or whoever will be born in the future, where do we come from? Before we were born, we used to live with our heavenly parents on the planet near the star Kolob in the pre-existence. And we are those spirit children. We look a lot like we looked then, a lot like we look today, except for one important difference, we didn't have physical bodies, we only had spirit bodies. Nevertheless, we were still the same people we are now. We lived there, we looked a lot like we do now. If I was still a Mormon, I might ask it to you this way. You, you can raise your hand. How many of you, you meet somebody for the first time and, and it, it's uncanny. It's like as soon as you met them, it's like you had known them your entire life. Right? You've had that, right? Well, see, I would have said you probably knew that person here. On the planet near the star Kolob. Okay, you're not convinced, but you can see how some of this might sound convincing, or you might even say this Is that possible or plausible, or maybe a deja vu? Maybe it's. But see, those are all the wrong questions. Remember Galatians chapter 1. The question this morning is not Is that possible or plausible? The question is Is that biblical? Is this the same gospel we found in the New Testament? Or do we, in fact, have a different gospel of some type? Now, I was taught that it was determined we would need a savior. Okay, So actually, we had two candidates to be savior. Two of our older brothers both stepped forward to offer to be the new savior of, of the earth. Jesus stepped forward, our elder brother Jesus. He said, I will be the savior. But so did another brother. His brother named Lucifer steps forward. He offers to be our savior. Jesus is chosen to be the Savior over Lucifer. But I was taught as a Mormon that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers along with the rest of us. So that basically summarizes and wraps up question number one where do we come from? And takes us uh, right really to question number two. And question number two is why are we here? Well, if you look on your chart, we're in the bottom left hand corner, we're here on earth which is also known as the second estate. Now, remember, the first estate is the preexistence, but we're on the second estate, which is earth. And by the way, one year, our, our uh, artist, graphic artist, uh, she put a little X by the earth. We published this in one of our public magazines. She put an X on the earth and put, you are here. You ever get lost at the mall? I know I've already lost some of you. You are on earth, okay, which is also known as What? The second estate. But why are you here? Now, that's, that's a more important question than it first appears. Because according to Mormonism, we were already in the presence of God. Why would we ever want to leave the presence of God? Here's what I was told. We were all given a choice. We, stood, we uh, were able to hear God's plan of salvation, the restored gospel. And we knew it would be very risky to leave the presence of God because we could lose everything. But the upside, the potential upside was so infinite, it was worth the risk. And so all of us, our hearts our within us for joy. And we all said, yes, that's why we're here. But why are we here? Now, I could probably give you a couple of dozen very important reasons that we're here. On your chart, I've reduced it down to, what was it? Nine reasons. But I'm going to simplify it further for the sake of time. I'm going to reduce it to five. It's on sale today only. Only five reasons that we're here, but five very important reasons. Number one, we're here on earth to receive a body, to receive a body. This is the law of eternal progression, and you cannot progress without receiving a body. It's very important. You can't have a body in the presence of God. You have to come to the second estate, gain a physical body. Now, let's get a kind of feel for us today at Paragon. How many of you... Believe you may have already accomplished step one. Raise your hand. If you think you. It's only about half of you. I, I, I don't know if I can work with you. Or not. It should be all of us. Go, I'm going to go ahead and give you credit. You can check off. You did number one. You gained a body. Got a body. Number two. You must have faith in Christ. Now here's something we would certainly totally agree with our Latter-day Saint neighbors and friends. We believe the Bible teaches that the, esen- the essence of the gospel is to have faith in christ but let me stop for just a moment when i say faith in christ you do have to make sure it's the correct christ for example i did a debate a couple of years ago with the head of the islam the muslim legal defense fund of america two-hour debate islam versus christianity did you know the muslims believe in jesus and he's actually in the quran would you say a muslim's a christian they believe in jesus here's the problem for the Muslim, they do not believe Jesus died on the cross or rose again, and they, they believe he's not the Son of God. Well, see, that's too different to be the real Jesus. That's, not, that's the wrong Jesus. So let's shift forward here. What about, what about uh, Mormonism? I did a two-hour debate just last year, one of the DVDs we have available. I did a two-hour debate with Elder Joseph Evans, the head of the Mormon Church Seminary Program. For two hours, we go head-to-head, Christianity... And Mormonism on the question is Mormonism Christian, and you'll hear Elder Evans. If you watch that debate, he will say we believe in Jesus. The name of our church, he says, is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. And they do have some facts right, but when it comes to the essentials of who Jesus is, it's not the traditional Christ of the Bible. It really is a different Jesus. I was taught that Jesus. Is not the eternal God made flesh? He's one. He's not the only begotten Son of God. Remember, there's billions of begotten sons and daughters. I was taught when Christ came to this earth, the Mormon Church, uh, the uh, Mormon leaders, Brigham Young, the Mormon prophet, said that Jesus was not begotten of the Holy Spirit. I w- I was taught as a Latter Day Saint that when Jesus Himself, the early Mormon apostles, taught that He was married. That Jesus married, for example, Mary. Her sister Martha and Mary Magdalene were three of the wives of Jesus. I was taught that his atonement did not take place on the cross, which is why you never see a cross on any Mormon building. His atonement was at Gethsemane in the garden, not at Calvary on the cross. I was taught that Jesus, um, that, that Jesus, after his death on the cross and resurrection, the Book of Mormon teaches that Jesus actually comes to America to preach the gospel, his gospel, To the Indians, to the the Native Americans, who are actually Jewish, according to the Book of Mormon. I I can't even get into that. You want to listen to the first hour. I talked about this in the first hour. Jewish Indians. Let me just say this. It's not the same Jesus I believe in today. Today, I believe in the traditional Christ. When I was a Mormon, I did not believe in the traditional Christ. But I don't want you to take my word for it. Let me take you to the top Mormon himself, the prophet, seer, revelator, president of the Mormon church died just recently. He died maybe about seven or eight years ago. The Mormon prophet uh, Gordon B. Hinckley said, In bearing testimony of Jesus Christ, President Hinckley spoke of those outside the church who say, Latter-day Saints do not believe in the traditional Christ. Listen to his answer. No, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak is not the Christ of whom I speak. Now, what the Mormon prophet says here many of our mormon neighbors don't really even understand this when i was a mormon i didn't understand if you asked me i thought everybody had the same jesus whether you were mormon or lutheran or or catholic or presbyterian or jehovah's witness or muslim we all have the same jesus but the mormon prophet knows that's not the case and he clearly teaches he has a different jesus than the traditional jesus that we're talking about so you have to have faith in Christ, number two in your outline, but it needs to be it needs to be the traditional Christ. Number three, I was also taught that the reason that we're here is to, for baptism and to receive the Holy Ghost. But one important thing you need to know, both of these ordinances must be performed by a Mormon or they don't count. Baptism is part of the gospel, they would say, but unless you're baptized by a Mormon, it does you no good. And you also must receive the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, by a Mormon with the proper authority. So, baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost is part of the gospel. Number four, you must obey all the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Now, this is why we see, I think clearly here, this is not the grace gospel spoken of in the New Testament. It's really a works gospel. We are saved, I was told as a Mormon, by being obedient. In fact, I'm taking number four in your list from the Mormon prophet himself and the Mormon scriptures This comes from the prophet Joseph Smith, his 13 articles of faith. Let me read to you Article 3. Joseph Smith said this, quote, We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Let's stop right there for a moment. Is that how the Bible says we're saved? By obedience to all the laws and ordinances? That's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're not saved by obedience because, well, quite frankly, we're not very obedient. How many of us have kept all the laws? Or Did you know, for example, that there are 613 laws just in the Old Testament? How many of you have kept them all? How, how many of you know them all? How many of you know all 613 laws in the Old Testament? Okay, let's, let's forget the 613. How many of us have kept the Ten Commandments? Just, just the ten. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? How many of you can give me eight of the ten? I'm going to give you credit. If you can give me eight of the Ten Commandments, you get credit. Now, have we kept those laws? No, we haven't. One of the laws, one of the Ten Commandments says, Honor your father and mother. Have you done that perfectly? One of the Ten Commandments, Jesus said, you know if you break it in your mind or if you break it in your heart, you've already broken it. Now, it's not that the commandments are bad. The commandments in the Bible are wonderful and good. The problem is you and me. Even on our best day, we don't keep the law. So the purpose of the law is not to save us, but to show us that we need a Savior. In fact, let me just contrast, if I can, the prophet Joseph Smith of Mormonism, with what the Bible says. This is from the Bible in Romans chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes and says this, For by the works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight. Nobody's right in God's sight. No human is right in God's sight by keeping the law. Because we don't do it. Even on our best day, we don't do it. And so it goes on to say, Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now here's what here's the real purpose of the law the purpose of the law in the bible the ten commandments and the other laws is to reflect god's absolute holiness and justice and perfection and when we try to measure up with that the sum of the law is we, we we're all sinners we we don't keep the law the purpose of the law is not to save you but to show you that you need a savior or let me use this illustration let's say that you fall and you hurt your arm and you suspect the worst You go to the hospital, get an x-ray. Sure enough, they get the results of the x-ray. They can show you on the x-ray, your arm is broken. Now, here's my question for you today. How many x-rays will it take to heal that broken arm? How many? Three? Five? 360? No. See, the purpose of an x-ray is not to heal your arm, but to show you that it needs healing. The purpose of the law is not to be your savior. Remember, the gospel is good news. But it's not good news about laws, it's good news about Jesus. He's the Savior, not the laws. So that takes us to number five, uh, to our last on the list, temple, endowments. The summation of keeping all the laws and ordinances is to gain access to the Mormon temple. Now, the Mormon church is growing so rapidly right now that every day they're building a new church or two, either one or two new churches every day around the world keep up with the growth they start with six charter members in the year 1830 they now have over 14 million Mormons worldwide Uh, one of the fastest growing religions in the history of the world now there's a these are the Mormon churches you may know where the one in your neighborhood they call them a ward chapel there's another building however which is very rare it's called the temple there's only about 130 temples in the whole world the most famous one is the Salt Lake City Temple, but there's 130 roughly temples. That building is not open to the public. The temple is not. In fact, the temple is not even open to most Mormons. Most Mormons cannot go inside the Mormon temple. You must gain access to the temple by being called what they being deemed what they call temple worthy. And they're going to want to know have you kept all the laws? In fact, to get inside the temple, you must successfully go through your bishop, which is like your pastor, and his supervisor, the stake president, for interviews, and they're going to want to know, yes or no, are you temple worthy? In fact, let me just, if I could, I could just do this, let me just be your bishop if I could, and I will take you on a temple interview, and we'll find out in the room, I'm sure most of you are probably worthy, but we'll find out, and so you can just answer by raising your hand, and I'll start with the easy one, so we can... Here's question one. Uh, raise your hand. How many of you drink coffee or tea? Coffee or tea. Raise your hand if you... Okay. Yeah. You're all disqualified. Either either beverage is going to disqualify you from going inside the temple. Use of tobacco products. Disqualification. Alcoholic beverages. Disqualified. They're going to, want to know, going to want to know if you have any anti-Mormon literature in your home or office. Disqualified. Do you have associations with or sympathies for apostates or apostate organizations? disqualified but here's a question they're always going to ask and i'm i'm not going to ask you to raise your hands but they're going to ask you here's the question are you or are you not a full tithe payer have you given 10 percent of your income to the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints if you answer no during your interview you get the second question would you like to make a settlement at this time if you answer no to that question, you are deemed ineligible, not temple-worthy to go inside the temple, which we're going to see in a moment. This affects where you spend your entire eternity. So how much money you get. Now, I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Uh, I'm a member of Fielder Church back in, in Texas, and I believe in supporting my church financially. And I hope all of you who are part of Paragon, the family here, the church, that you support fully what God is doing financially financially through the local church, that's God's plan. But if any of you put an offering in the offering box over there thinking that helps make you worthy, you ought to call the church Monday ask for a refund because the money you give doesn't make you worthy. It's what Jesus did that makes you worthy, not, not how much money you give or the good deeds. But see, this is a works gospel, not a grace gospel. If you do get access to the temple, you get a card called a temple recommend valid for 24 months and uh they can remove it this barcoded so they can tell if if you're still active or not but they scan that card you get access and there are many important things that can only happen in a temple i'm not going to go into detail this morning i know we probably good chance we have some latter-day saint guests with us and i don't want to be offensive and i know when i was a mormon i would have been offended i don't want to offend you so i'm not going to give the detail of what happens let me just say this much certain ordinances can only take place in a temple and nowhere else on earth one of them is baptism for the dead which i'll explain in a moment but another very important ordinance is marriage for all eternity if you're married outside the temple as a mormon your marriage is like any other gentile any other non-mormon your marriage is till death do you part how many of you got married you remember the minister saying till death do you part remember that if I could tell you a way you could be married, not till death, but for all eternity, how many of you would be interested in that? Okay, well, you probably didn't understand the question. What I meant to su- let's skip that question. Let me say it this way. I'm thinking as a Mormon that one of the big benefits we had is that our marriages, if it's in the temple, it's not till death, but for all eternity. Very important. We'll see why in just a moment. So only the temple recommend allows you to have that kind of marriage. And it takes us now to our final question this morning, where are we going? If you look at the chart in the middle bottom, after death I was told as a Mormon that everybody goes to one of two places, it's not heaven and it's not hell. You either go to paradise or you end up in spirit prison. Now, as you can guess from the wording, paradise is the good place, spirit prison is not not so good. However, I was told only worthy Latter-day Saints go to paradise. Everyone else goes to spirit prison. However, there's a silver lining. If you die and go to spirit prison and you've never had an opportunity to hear the restored gospel, the law of eternal progression, you never heard it. Well, And this is a practical question because let me ask this. If you lived and died in the 1700s, could you have heard the restored gospel? Joseph Smith hadn't restored it yet. Or even today, what if you live in a part of the world where the Mormon missionaries have never knocked on your door? Could you have heard the restored gospel? Or maybe this happened to you. You may live in a part of the world where the Mormon missionaries did knock on your door, but you pretended that no one was home. And I, don't, I don't know why you do that. We, know, we always knew you were home, by the way. But why do we do that? I don't know why we came up with that strategy, but if you've never heard the restored gospel and you end up in spirit prison, now here's the good news. Mormon missionaries from paradise can actually come down to spirit prison and share the restored gospel with you after death. You can become a Mormon after you die by receiving the gospel in spirit prison. You say, well, great, I can go to paradise. Not so quickly. Remember one of the requirements earlier? You have to be baptized. You say, well, I've been baptized already. Well, no. A Baptist baptism or a Catholic baptism, any other baptism won't count. It has to be by a Mormon. Well, how are you going to get baptized if you're already dead? This is where baptism for the dead comes in. Mormons have the world's largest genealogical library, family history library. In Utah, the names of literally millions of dead people. And they go through baptism for the dead. This is what I did in the Salt Lake City Temple. I was taken into a room, beautiful room, and in the center of the room, there's this gold baptismal font with 12 golden oxen. I still remember walking down into the waters of baptism to be baptized, but not to be baptized for me. I had already been baptized in the Mormon church. This is a temple baptism for the dead. I was being baptized by proxy for and on behalf of a dead man whose name is Frederick Jones i went down to the waters of baptism i come out and i'm thinking had frederick jones received the mormon gospel in spirit prison he then could go up to paradise why because james walker had just uh, performed baptism for the dead for him now not only do they, do they do baptism for the dead in the temples they also do marriage for the dead where living mormon couples take on the name of dead people dead couples To go through what they call the sealing and anointing uh, for the marriage for all eternity for and on behalf of dead people. In fact, about 90% of what happens in the Mormon temple are works for dead people. This is what's happening in the Mormon temple. It's not a worship service like you would think of at the Mormon church or another church. So you can help a dead person then go up to paradise or get there yourself. But even if you make it to paradise, it's not over with because eventually there's going to be a final judgment and virtually everyone is going to go to one of three different heavens the bottom heaven you see in the bottom right hand corner of your chart is known as the telestial kingdom represented by the light of a star the brightness of a star the telestial kingdom is a beautiful place of honor glory everything that you could imagine heaven to be beautiful majestic but when i was a mormon i Definitely did not want to go to the telestial kingdom. You see, there's a heaven above the telestial known as the terrestrial kingdom. And that's represented by the light and the brightness of the moon. Notice how the moonlight is brighter than starlight. This is a better heaven, even more glorious than the lower heaven, the telestial kingdom. But as you already probably guessed, I didn't want to go there either. My goal, my, as a Mormon, what I was aiming at is that highest heaven known as the celestial kingdom represented by the brightness of the sun. Three heavens, it basically works this way. As a Mormon, I was taught, only worthy Mormons go to the celestial kingdom, okay? The bottom kingdom, this is interesting, the bottom heaven, the celestial, is reserved for wicked people. If you're a murderer, lawless, you hate God, um, criminal, you don't have to believe anything. You go to the bottom heaven. The middle heaven is reserved for spiritual people, honorable men and women, who for some reason never obeyed the restored gospel. So if you are a devout Jew, or you are a, um, a, a, um, uh, a good Muslim, if you're a Baptist or a Catholic, you can go to that middle heaven according to Mormonism. But I've, again, I'm aiming at that celestial kingdom. But even the celestial kingdom is divided into three categories. Now, in order to make it to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, now, how how do you get there? Remember, two ways. You become a Mormon on this earth, and you obey all the laws and ordinances, and you get a temple recommend, and you complete that by being worthy. You go to paradise, and then potentially the celestial kingdom. Or remember the other way. As a Mormon, I was taught, if you don't know, and you go to spirit prison, you accept in spirit prison, you wait for a Mormon to do baptism for the dead for you, marriage for the dead. Eventually, it's possible for you to go to the celestial kingdom. But in order to make it to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, not only must you be worthy, you must also be married. And your spouse must be worthy also. This is a rare religion. Your salvation, in part, is determined by how good your spouse is, not just you. It takes two to get to the highest heaven. Now, if you're single... You can still go to the celestial kingdom as a slave or as a servant in one of the lower levels. You cannot go to the highest degree. So if you're here this morning and you are single, do you like anybody? You need to be thinking about this because your salvation is tied directly to your marital status. No single people in the highest heaven. But my goal was, again, to get the highest heaven. Part of that was to hopefully one day be married in the temple to my wife for all eternity who would also be worthy. But even if you make it all the way to the top, it's not over because this is the law of eternal progression. I was taught, if you, once you're in one of the lower heavens, you're locked, you won't go any higher, your progression is stopped. But not so in the celestial. If you make it at the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, remember question one was in that arrow from the upper right-hand corner of your page to the upper left-hand corner of your page? I was taught that if I made it the highest degree of the celestial kingdom and was married, my wife and I would then be given another earth somewhere out in the universe, and I would be the heavenly father of the new earth, and my wife would become the heavenly mother. I would be God. She would be Mrs. God. And we would start having babies, spirit children, a lot of spirit children billions, and we would populate that new earth with our spirit offspring, the Mormons say it this way, families are forever. And so we populate a whole planet with our spirit children who would look to me as heavenly father, look to my wife as heavenly mother, and the whole system starts all over again. And in fact, this is interesting, the whole Mormon gospel also works in reverse. I was taught that our heavenly father, before he was God over this earth that we live on, He himself once lived on another earth somewhere, and he was a man at that time who had a God over him. And his God had once been a man who had a God over him who was once a man who had a God over him who was once a man. And through all eternity past, the law of eternal progression continues to go in reverse, and it also moves forward. One of the Mormon prophets, Lorenzo Snow, summarized our entire gospel with this famous couplet I learned as a child. The Mormon prophet said it this way, quote, As man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. God, before he was God, he was a man just like me. And if I'm a good man, a Mormon man, I can become a God myself one day. Now let me just ask you, is that the gospel found in the pages of the New Testament or Is this more like the Winnebago we looked at earlier? Um, I won't take time to read it to you, but on the back of the chart, very important. We give you the biblical answer to the three questions. The Bible already answers the questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? The gospel of grace in the Bible is a free gift of eternal life through what Christ did for salvation for our sins it doesn't mean you can ever become a God because there is only one God according to the Bible. Now, I didn't know this, but I had Christian friends who shared with me. I don't have time to tell you that whole story from Mormonism to Christianity. Let me just close by sharing with you about one friend, the first Christian to ever witness to me, share with me in a way that was helpful for me. And it was actually back in seventh grade. Now, in seventh grade... In, in middle school, I had a friend named Tommy, Tom. And Tommy asked me one day, he was a Christian, I was Mormon. Tommy asked me, he said, James, tell me again, what's, what church, you told me the name of your church, what church did you go to? I said, well, Tommy, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Tommy said, well, that's good. And he was happy, but he comes back a couple of weeks later, he said, James, you're a Mormon. I said, well, that's like another name for our church. I'll never forget Tommy said, "You know, you guys believe in a different god than the god that we believe in and we worship." I said, "Oh no, Tommy, we believe in God and Jesus and the Bible just like you do, we just have a little additional information." And Tommy said, no, "James, actually I looked you up in the encyclopedia." I said, "What what did it say?" He said, well, it says in the encyclopedia, your church teaches that God, before he was God, he was a man, and that you can become a God also one day. I said, well, yeah, Tommy, we believe you can, but only if you're worthy. I mean, we believe that the same as your church. See, I thought everybody believed that. I thought everybody taught that. And Tommy said, oh, we don't believe that. We believe there's only one God. I said, well, yeah, one God for our earth, but everybody knows there's other earths out there with other gods. And Tommy said, no, no, we believe there's only one true God, every other God's a false God. He said, Tommy, I have never heard that. Who who ever told you that? He said, it's actually in the Bible. I said, no way. Now, this is a seventh grader. He takes me to the Bible and shows me in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. It says, you are my witnesses, God says. I am he before me. No God was formed, nor shall there be any after me and tom says you know james if there's no god before and before god how could god have ever been a man and if there can no god be formed after god how can you become a god yourself one day i didn't know the answer to that question i'm thinking okay that's one of the mistakes in the bible maybe but the good thing about the bible you don't even have to believe in it for god to use it i still remember that day and I didn't know the answer to that question, but that, for the first time, I realized that afternoon that what we believed as Mormons was very different from what the other Christians were teaching about God. God used other people in my life throughout uh, uh, after junior high, throughout high school. I had Christian friends share with me, ask me things, especially about grace. The Book of Mormon says it this way. For we know it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Well, let me ask you, who does all we can do? See, that's not grace at all. And I realized that my Christian friends shared with me that the grace talked about in the Bible is the free gift that you can receive by trusting Christ as Savior. When I was 21 years old, I did that exactly. I came to the place where I realized that I was a sinner and that... I didn't deserve eternal life, but that God still loves me and made a way that I could receive Christ as Savior. And I asked him to come into my life and save me. I was born again. And I made that transition at the age of 21 from Mormonism to Christianity. And I want to encourage you to be friends like the kind of friends I had. If you know a Mormon, I want you to be a Tommy. Now, interestingly, I lost track of Tommy after the ninth grade. And Tommy would have never known the rest of the story were it not many, many years later. One year, for a birthday present for me, my wife, my birthday present that year, she somehow got on the phone, made inquire, she hunted down and found my friend Tom from 7th grade, got him on the phone. Remember your friend back in 7th grade, that Mormon kid? He's a Christian now! And he has a ministry, watchman, fellowship, reaching out to people of other religions and faith. Remember that day when you showed him In the Bible, there's only one God. Remember that? God used that. So I want to encourage you to be a Tommy in someone's life. You say, well, James, I don't have all the knowledge you have. I don't have all the tools and information. I don't have the the resources. Well, look, you know, we've got tons of great resources back there, tools to help you. I'm all about the tools. I want to help you that way. But to be real honest with you, it's really not so much about tools. It's about loving people. Or I can ask it this way. Are you smarter than a seventh grader? Can you take an encyclopedia and a Bible and be able to share with somebody? God can use you if you you love people and can do that, to speak the truth in love. If you're here, regardless of your background, you know, you may have, I know, a Catholic background and I want to speak to you. Some of you have a Mormon background, perhaps. I want to talk to you about that. Some of you, I know, have a Baptist background. I really want to talk to you. Truth of the matter is this, it's not about your religious background or what church you attend. Have you ever received that grace gift, that eternal life, that free gift where Jesus pays it all for your sins? If you've not done that, I want to encourage you, you can trust Christ as Savior. Just go to Him in prayer and ask Him to come in your life and be your Savior. Don't trust your church building or your good works. Trust Jesus alone as your Savior. And if you have a friend or family member that's going down a different kind of spiritual path, Let me encourage you that God's in control and he wants to use you and other Christians just like you to be a gospel message for that person. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for that true gospel of grace. We know we can never earn our salvation by being religious or being spiritual. We could never be good enough to earn what you've given us. That it must be received as a free gift. And we thank you for providing that way through your son, Jesus Christ. Now we want to lift up to you, our neighbors or friends. Some of us have Mormon family, Mormon friends. Others have friends who are atheists or perhaps another faith, another religion, maybe Jehovah's Witness, maybe Scientologists, but they're going down a different path. Help us to be a witness to them. Help them to be able to see your son Christ in our lives and that they may also experience experience that free gift of grace. Go with us now this day and help us to earnestly contend for the faith while speaking the truth in love. We ask this in Jesus' name.